Uh, well, I'm riding kind of fuck. First off, welcome to the bottom of the bill. Hey, we're trying out a new little thing here. We're going to be doing uh, just little recaps of the week before the episode comes out so we can stay a little more current and, you know, fill everybody in on what we got going on in our lives. So in the spirit of that, I'm riding kind of high right now. Let's talk about how Chris Underdahl is fucking slayed it at the oh. jam with Westbrook and the Gingerbeard boys. I couldn't have done it if you didn't do it first. <laughs> I was just hanging on for dear life, dude. <laughs> you and me both. That's how we roll. <laughs> it was fun, man. I got, I'm glad we got to see West off. Yeah, you know, it was last time he did a farewell jam. Well, before he went over the first time, uh, I was definitely going to come out. And I did like a similar thing where I worked all day and then like fell asleep, totally missed it. So set an alarm, woke up from my cat nap and uh, made sure to go catch him. And I'm glad I did. It was we were heating. Yeah, there man. There was some heat going on. It was fun, bro. I got I got there a little early and had and we had dinner and just caught up for a while. Um, sounds like he's really happy out there so i'm uh, stoked yeah. for him and uh, stoked for all the shit that they're going to be doing that he's going to be doing out there i think we might try and get him on before he leaves maybe next week or something yeah that would be awesome um so yeah other than that you got your car shit worked out yeah i got the flat tire all patched up um was thankfully walked out to come film a couple days ago and the thing was flat as shit um so that's always nice you know, yeah. drive around a gig to gig for a living. So they hooked it up to, um, I forget the name and I'm not going to be racist trying to mispronounce it. It is. And it'll come across wrong. So Lincoln bio, <laughs> they, did, <laughs> they did great work. Word. <laughs> really affordable. Like those guys a lot. Uh, yep. Sweet. <laughs> um, what you been into this week? Uh, just some gigs. I played at the Green Turtle on Monday, and for the first time ever, I played two sets there with nobody there. It's kind of wild. Zero. Yeah, literally zero people out in the deck until like the last couple, like the last two sets. It's kind of wild. I've uh, never seen that happen up there. Yeah, it's just Monday, like Monday afternoon, and I think also just like the weather was a little weird, and I don't, I don't fucking know, dude. But the night before, I played at A1A. There's just one guy there. I don't know what his deal was, but uh, I mean, he, he was liking it. It was a cool vibe at first. He was enjoying what I was doing. It was nice. He gave me some tips. It's cool. Um, and then uh, David and Michelle came by, oh, nice. some friends yeah. of the show. So I was catching up with them after my set was over, after I was done for the night. And uh, I just hear somebody yelling from across the bar, hey, Antoine. It's like wrong move already <laughs> at least get my name right dude yeah dude um but also like don't interrupt me while i'm in the middle of a conversation i can't stand that shit so it's like and then he's like if i throw you some money will you play two more songs and i was like no i had already been done by this point for like 15 minutes mm -hmm. and the bar was closing up soon so no uh he was like well we're gonna pay you i was like no yeah i understand that <laughs> I, but I'm not going to play again. This is, this is my boundary. Okay. You yeah. couldn't pay me enough to play overtime right now. Uh, and he was like, he kept like pushing it. And I was like, man, I appreciate that you liked it and you hung out. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Um, and I do genuinely mean that, Yeah. but, uh, uh, I'm done for the night. And then he was like, wow, man, that's crazy. And I was like, it's not fucking crazy, Psycho, dude. Psycho, dude. You're insane. Uh, like, it's not fucking crazy, bro. It's like, you're going to pay me, what, 10 bucks, 20 bucks? It's, it's, it's just not worth my time. Yeah, dude. 
And like the venues got shit to do. Yeah, the bartenders mean? are trying to close up. The fucking you know everyone's trying to like the everyone's trying to go home. It was a slow day. Yeah, it's just like we're all trying to go home, man. Nobody like. Yeah, it was a Sunday. Yeah, no, he should be going home. Yeah, totally. He's got work in the morning. What is he doing? <laughs> fucking hopefully, bro. I don't know. Well, probably not him. Just people, weird people in St. Augustine. People he knows probably have work in the morning. <laughs> yeah. so. Go find um, them. So I don't know. That shit's annoying as fuck. So. Well, that sounds like a good batch of gigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a fun time. And then uh, what's coming up? What's coming up next weekend? Uh, well, I'm starting a Thursday night residency at ABBQ. Nice. You're bringing it back? Yeah. It's been a while since you... Well, you used to be out there like every Sunday, right? Yep. Yep. And then they cut back for football season and then they went under new management and they okay. decided to not do that anymore. So then um, now they have a new manager again who was one of the bartenders before and he wanted to bring it back. Hell yeah. So it was dope. So I'm going to see my boy Bradley Churchman hey. up there. He wore, he's a bartender up yeah. there too. ABBQ is great, man. I used to I used to do rehearsals for Patsy's right around the corner from there and we would go there once a week and fuck with Brad and the servers and we became a known crowd for about two months up there. It's They're good people, man. Yeah, man. The food guys. there is fucking it's fantastic. slapping. It's really good. Yeah. Um, what you been up to? Um, running around, same thing, doing gigs. Um, last week, time-wise, had a studio session, and we cut our new single. And then we immediately, once we cut the tunes, decided that we wanted to use one of the tunes we cut as the single. So we then oh, nice. turned around, and uh, Leroy mixed that shit on the fly and got us a killing sound. Um, and then we turned around and got it out for distro. Um, so like we're stoked to have something coming out soon and we're going to be playing August 5th at blue Jay. Um, time wise, the fusion fusion quintet, um, Jack Miller's opening and we got some surprises in store. There's going to be a super jam at the end with Jack's band and our band. It's going to be, really 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 fun gig not surprised anymore is it well i didn't say what we're gonna play oh word so that's yeah if the surprise is that good i'll cue them in on the first part you know what i mean it's it's that good also it's your birthday when this airs oh shit i guess it is isn't it so happy birthday thanks man i'm gonna get the fuck out of florida (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's gonna be awesome so what are you Uh, i'm going 28 yeah 28 fuck yeah dude yeah i'm an old old man i met you 10 years ago when i was a child (laughs) isn't that fucking wild sneaking into bars to play music yeah (laughs) (laughs) getting served underage I can say that now. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's qualified we immunity or whatever. We don't have to name where it was happening naming, at. I'm but not yeah. naming who. I'm not naming what. I'm just naming what was going on. Yeah. That's a me thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it worked out great for me. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's all. That's going to be good. I'm going out of town. I'm going to miss the last 1904 Funk Jam. Uh, so you should go check that out and celebrate for me. Yeah. Um, I went last week and took Jeremy Prince out there and we went and closed her down for the funk jam style it well, was a, when this comes out it'll have already happened well, so i will have been there and it will have been awesome it will be great i'm so glad you guys got to go yeah um and then yeah playing with cluster and sauce pocket on saturday for one of the last shows second to last one hell yeah for the first coast fest we're gonna be tearing it up at 1904 so you'll see some videos from that coming out because we're gonna shut her down in style um so that's going to be good. It's going to be an end of an era. That was one of the, I mean, one of the first venues, like I remember coming to town and like looking for live music when I was at UNF, not knowing like what was what. And there was a uh, maybe first semester, there was this reggae band. Um, 
I'm going to mispronounce this one too. I'm just full of racists today. Uh, <laughs> Black Uruhu, or it was, it was like a reggae band. Okay. Um, and went and caught them in 1904, and that just opened up the opened up the door. I mean, since then, saw Theo Katzman, Ghost Note, Mike Dillon's Punkadelic. Um, Nth Power. Fucking Nth Power, Weedy Brahmin. Um, I mean. So many shows over the years, I literally can't bro. list them all. And every homie in Jacksonville, I've got to see them play on that stage. So it's just like such a sentimental club so it's a shame to see that one go i'm glad that i'm glad to be a part of like giving it a farewell you know it's it's such a it was such a monumental thing in my career in jacksonville so same man same you know? it was the first place the first venue that i stumbled into just wandering around downtown one night with chelsea before we even moved here mm. and we just heard this band playing we walked in and it was uh the herd from chicago oh, nice they were like a yeah. funk band i don't know if they're still out or not but we walked in i couldn't believe it the, you know there wasn't that many people there but i just loved the vibe of the place and yeah. i remember thinking like i want to play on that stage and we moved to jacksonville and it became like you know my home base for a while yeah i did you know two of the side hustle ep releases and the documentary release there and uh attended many many funk jams obviously and have done you know opened up for you know the main squeeze and yeah. power um uh what's the one uh fucking perpetual groove yeah. i mean so many bands i've just i mean i've played so many shows on that Same. stage over the over the years and it's just sad to see it go yeah, um dude. it's i think jacksonville's really losing a cultural hub with that one yeah it took us all off guard but that just kind of puts all the fuel into underbelly which is another great sister venue yeah so totally. it's like they'll just pick right up and keep it rolling and then you never know down the road jason's a Jason's a crazy entrepreneur, you know. Uh, keep it rolling, Jason. What else you got, bud? Yeah. <laughs> show, us, show us something, man. He'll figure it out for sure. Most definitely. Um, all right, guys. Well, on the podcast this week, this <laughs> podcast nice. this week, um, we have our boy Greg Hersey on. He is a phenomenal percussionist, drummer, uh, who's recently gone viral on social media for his unique uh percussion setups in these unique settings playing uh in these unconventional styles uh, uh for percussion like a lot of hip-hop stuff especially and so we're really stoked him and isaac corbett another friend of the show have done some uh collaborations on tiktok which have also gone viral uh so it's really cool to see these jacksonville guys kind of innovating in these spaces uh on their on their respective instruments so i'm stoked about it greg was a really good dude great conversation uh we're really excited that he was able to be here and hang out with us we're thankful for it so um without further ado here's greg uh, make sure also you like subscribe share all that good stuff we got merchandise we actually got new merchandise in the works right now i just talked uh with jay today about some cool shit i gotta fill you in on actually nice. and um yeah so it's, it's it's all very exciting we got cool stuff coming your way so um yeah again without further ado here's greg hersey enjoy this is bottom of the bill <laughs> had an opportunity i think to play a gig together once and i think i may have just hit you up to see if you were available and you weren't because okay because aaron plots plays with me primarily sure. 
and uh, there was a gig he couldn't make, and I think he recommended you, so I hit you up, and you weren't available. I think okay. that's that's the extent that we've had a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I appreciate you coming out here and being here today, man. Of course, of course. Yeah, it's always interesting because like our scene is like small, but um, and everybody kind of knows everybody, but because I guess like most musicians out there, when we're all working and doing our thing, we just don't really get to see each other. You know, like we don't hang out like normal people yeah, do you know? yeah for sure for sure um i mean you know uh, i feel like a lot of us s can stay busy in jacksonville you know it's it's not la or nashville or whatever but it's like you kind of have to dig around and find stuff and there's there's plenty here but um yeah i mean there's there's a lot of you know friends and colleagues that i see playing and it's like you know, I feel like as musicians, you know, your Friday, Saturday nights, like if you're not gigging, you know, if you can go and support and watch, you know, your buddies, but most of the time it's like nobody's schedules really align with each other. It's yeah. You know, stuff. And, and also like when you're working all the time, sometimes when you have an off night, like you just want to take a break from music. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'll speak for myself at this point, I'm kind of, um, being on the other side of the stage kind of gives me social anxiety now. Whereas when I was younger, it was like being on stage gave me anxiety. Okay. Um, and now, cause I'm so used to like using that as the excuse to be out uh, and socializing like that, that exists in the capacity where I'm on stage playing. Sure. And when I'm not there to do that, I don't really know what to do with myself. <laughs> like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> do you ever feel that way? Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like to an extent I am pretty extroverted, but like in those social scenarios, like, you know, going out to bars and stuff, like that's, that's not my jam. Like I would rather be working or, you know, playing. And even I feel like when I have gigs and I'm out, you know, playing at Jack's Beach or whatever and on breaks, like I I tend not to socialize with people unless they come up and you know they want to like talk about gear or like oh you know you guys sound great whatever it's that's fine but i'm not gonna go out of my way to like hit people up and hang out at the bar and i don't know i'm just like kind of kind of in my zone but yeah you know un unless i'm out with with like close friends or something i just it's not really my scene i i i totally understand what you're saying though like i would i would feel out of my element especially you know and i can enjoy live music but you know um I'm like, oh, like I, I feel like I should be doing something, you know? Yeah, no, that's definitely yeah. another thing, right? It's yeah. like, so actually before I do that, Chris, how do you feel when you go out to see, like when you go out like, to a bar where you're not playing? I don't remember what that's like. Yeah. It's been that long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Like I said, I'm kind of in your boat. Like if I go with a bunch of buddies, I can cut loose and have a good time. But like, sure. you know, if I'm, just kind of ram randomly stumbling into some place, I'll kind of sit there and check out and go, what am I doing? Like, wow, <laughs> I, I could do this. Like, guys, let me yeah. in. Let, put me in coach. <laughs> totally. There's like a, and then it even kind of like happens at a higher level. If you go see like touring bands, like I saw right before I left, I was, I was on vacation for a few weeks. And right before I left, I went to go see Theo Katzman at 1904 and like obviously as a fan i'm like blown away by the whole thing but as um you know somebody who considers those people my peers to an extent i'm also like dude get it together like look at what these guys are doing what are you doing like you just bought tickets to come see him play yeah <laughs> like why yeah. aren't 
why aren't you making money right now? You right, know? right. Uh, also, like, why aren't you that good? You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, most people set. most people come up to them and go, like, man, you had a great set, and you're coming up to them, like, what are your numbers in the Southeast? Yeah, you know, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so how many tickets did you sell tonight? Were you guys, like, close? Did you sell them out pre-sale, or was it, like, uh, <laughs> what kind of deal did you guys work out? So uh, what's the that, 90, 10, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, so... I noticed that you don't really like. Do you still gig a lot? Because most of your time is teaching, and and you've obviously been crushing the social media game. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I I try to gig when I can. You know, I'm I'm kind of at that point in my musical career to where I can say no to stuff. You know, right. going through music school, it's like that you're you're kind of wired at some point to just say yes to everything and like you know try out new things and and take the gig and you never know what can come from it and um you know especially getting out of your comfort zone that's that's big and that's that's something that i really took away um from my time at unf is um you know kind of being able to dabble in a little bit of everything and and not discrediting something just because you're like ah, I, I don't know i don't want to do that it's like well if you tried, you know, um, I never thought I'd be a band director, but here we are right. now going into seven years of this. So it's, it's crazy, man. Um, but as far as gigging, like I, I still like to stay active and, you know, and play. And last week, I, I think I, I had a busier week than usual. Uh, I had like three or four gigs and they were kind of spread out throughout the week, like mid or like weekday gigs, which is always weird. I had a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so as far as like group setting, I play with Baking's International Band, yeah. uh, which I know a lot of a lot of guys um, in Jack's play. Uh, and it's great. You know, it's you get the set list, show up play usually playing with with monster players and people that are just killing and i've been doing that more frequently i think last year i had i got put on one bakings and i was like all right that's my one for the year but you know it's cool it's you know steady bread and um like i said it's it's usually a good time if everybody looks at the set list in advance you know uh, yeah that's i preach that to no end on this show, right. just showing up prepared, especially if there's not time to rehearse or whatever. Right. You know, and then you're doing top 40 stuff where there's just a form that we all know we have to play. Yeah. Let's just all learn it and not be children about it. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, you know, I, I certainly don't think it requires any rehearsal and there typically is none. But, you know, if if people haven't looked at the set list in advance and it's like, are we going to the bridge court? Like it, it can get a little stressful and a little, little wacky, but you know, for, for a wedding scene, it's like people aren't, you know, they're, they're there to have a good time. They're dancing. Like we just kind of roll with it if something weird happens. So it, it usually all works out in the end. Of course. But, yeah. Um, so bakings, you know, I've been playing more frequently with that group and, and it's great. I've been playing with a group, uh, Bay street, Longtime friend of mine, uh, we met at a church out at the beach years ago and played together. And um, he, uh, John Miller, has been—he's uh, the founder of Bay Street and has been playing with that group for 36 years. Wow! And uh, so we actually just played a 36-year anniversary show at Blue Jay last Wednesday, uh, which was really cool. So it's like you know, he has lived in Jack's Beach, you know, for a really long time, and you know that's kind of his scene and that's where his following 
thing is. And um, so I, I've been playing with them, you know, for the last like two years, just kind of on and off, filling in, especially during the summertime when I'm not teaching. Like I can I can take a couple of days off and be like, all right, let's uh, let's do a gig. Like let's yeah. let's let's get something going. So I've been playing with them pretty frequently, and that's they're more like classic rock, blues. They have some original stuff, mostly covers. They're fun to play with, man. Those those old guys, like they they can go like till the end of the night, and uh, you know they're they're seasoned. It's like a different different uh, world they come from. Because I, I played with older guys too for a long time, and it, it was like the world they come from is we're all trying to like we don't make a distinction between playing bars and playing stadiums. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're here to perform and put on a show, and that's the way they want to run it. Like the, right. they'll go two hours straight without a break or, and like they want the, the music played authentically and they want to do it like, and they want to like make sure that, that they're engaging the audience. There's no phoning it in, you know, that's like a different sure. school. Do you find that to be the case? Um, yeah. And there's, sometimes there's a lot of talking in between songs and storytelling and that's cool, yeah. you know? And I, uh, you know, my teacher that I studied with at UNF, Charlotte Mabry, she, she was big on that at her concerts at, at UNF of just engaging with the audience and telling these stories and, you know, being personable and funny on stage. Yep. And that that's kind of what I see in, in these guys too. Like, you know, some of the, well, especially with bakings, it's like, we're, we're there, you know, for a wedding or a specific event and it's like kind of play, 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 like keep the flow going. So yeah, there's definitely, definitely a, a difference there. And I, uh, I see that, you know, when I play with them from time to time, it's cool. Yeah. I love that, man. All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you, or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD, Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTB, pod that's b-o-t-b pod you'll save 10 percent on your order this is not a one-time deal if you use promo code bot b pod every time you place an order with best buds it will give you 10 percent off that's in perpetuity forever so head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your cbd and delta a products enjoy guys uh i want to go back to something you said earlier because i really like this notion too um about saying no to things Right. Like, I feel like it's it's a special place uh, that you get to in your career when you start realizing, like, I don't need to do this. So, like, what are some examples of things that you're probably not going to waste a night doing? It's tough, man. It depends. Um, I I don't feel like I say a no to a lot of things, but if I have like a busy week at school or a couple weekends of just consecutive gigs and I want to have a Saturday off and not feel that, I guess, anxiety or pressure to, oh man, I I really, really need to grind this Friday. And, you know, if I want to take a weekend off, I'm going to take that weekend off uh, and not think twice about it, not feel guilty. And a lot of that, you know, as musicians comes from a financial standpoint, it's, you know, if, if you're sitting at home kind of twiddling your thumbs, be like, I could be out making money. Um, or I could be spending time with my family, spending time with my wife, just hanging out, relaxing, resting, recharging. I have a lot of friends that, that get burnout really easily and, you know, they'll go for weeks and weeks and weeks and then have to take an extended period of time off 
And then at that point, you know, some people just, they lose that drive. They lose the interest and they, 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 you know, fall out of it and stop loving what they're doing. And it becomes sort of this mundane thing. And that's, that sucks. That's scary. Like that's, that's not what it's about. Totally. So, you know, and I tell my students this all the time, just being able to have that, that balance, you know, not even just with music, but, you know, say you're really into sports and stuff and, you know, time management, being able to juggle and navigate through all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's important for us you know, being full time musicians that we don't have to do that every single day. You know, it, it again, it is OK to say no, but, you know, know your limits. Some people can just go, go, go and grind and they love it. But, you know, even look at guys on on Broadway, you know, it's uh, Carter McLean is the drummer for Lion King and he's been playing that show for, I don't know, upwards of like 20 years, maybe. Um and I don't even know how many shows he's done. It's like up in the thousands of yeah, shows. Of and it's like he's got that that show unlocked, but he'll take, you know, a month off at a time and have a sub. And um, you know, I, I can't imagine doing the same show every single night for, you know, all all those years. Like that's crazy. Yeah, you know? totally. Like I said, you know, coming out of school, it's just I, I felt like the the training and you're you're sort of wired in that regard. Not everybody, but you know, the people that really want to pursue music and, and take it serious, it's like, you just, you go for it. Like you, you take every opportunity, but you know, as life goes on, you become older, you know, starting a family, all that stuff. It's like, you need to know kind of when to pull back and, um, you know, have your priorities in line for sure. Yeah. Cause there's that thing also that you start to gauge situations by, um, by, by like the way you're approached about gigs or the, the details of a gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can start to weed out the things like, okay, I know what this is about, or this person uh, is speaking in this way and that's kind of a red flag. So I'm going to, you know, not take this one. And just, you get better at, at sifting through bullshit, I think. Sure. Um, and Chris is now just getting to the point where he's starting to say no to things. A ton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's well, that feel? It feels great, man. And like, because <laughs> I, you know, I've been the workaholic since I moved to Jacksonville. Like, ever since you, I got, you know, into UNF, that's like all I did. And so, like, I, you know, I've really resonated with the whole music school teaches you to take everything because, like, you, it's kind of like you don't know where your next meal is kind of thing. It's you got to take these gigs. And that is not the way to do it, you know? No. So, like, and now I've got more time to write and do studio work, and I'm gigging at least a third less than I was at like my peak, you know, and still making as much and have much more time to do like the podcast and, and all that stuff. And I was thinking the same thing like, it's how they approach you about the gig. Like, I'd rather take a gig where someone hits me up, and goes, "It's a hundred bucks, two sets. It's this, it's that. Here's the set list." Then someone goes, "Hey, <laughs> what's up? Yeah, do you have a this day open? Why? <laughs> like, yeah, do you have a gig? You want to hang out? Like, what's up? No, I think I'm good. You can't give me any like. Well, it pays four hundred dollars and it's thirty minutes. It's like, well." Should have led with that. Sorry, I you freaked me out. I'm I'm a spooked cat. I gotta go. I gotta run away from this. One of one of my biggest red flags, I think, is if I'm speaking to somebody that likes to continue the conversation on different 
uh, platforms. <laughs> if I'm if if we're texting and then I'm getting a Facebook message <laughs> about the same thing, and then I'm getting uh, back to text, and then maybe we'll throw in a, a, a DM from Instagram on there. I'm like, no, right? I don't. This let's, is, let's streamline it. Let's, yeah. yeah, and also like just. Let's just use emails. Let's I was gonna be say, adults ne- about never this. an email though, right? <laughs> yeah, never an email. <laughs> it's like, dude, just <laughs> it sits in my inbox. I'll see it. Like a message, I send you know 20, 30 messages a day. It's gonna get lost and shit, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I also, but you know, going back to saying no, I do think it's important for the first like part of your career to say yes to everything. Because you, especially if you're coming from music school where you kind of can, mm-hmm. right? Like if you've, if, if you probably dabbled in classical music, jazz, uh, and like all these different, uh, and you're getting all these different uh, options presented to you for courses that you can go down or roads you can take in the industry. So it's like, why not explore all of those and see what's right for you? You also learn about the red flags when you, because you're dealing with people within, you know, so I think that there is something to saying yes to everything at first, like maybe the first 10 years, let's say. Sure. And then after that, it's time to start uh, being a little bit more choosy about what you want to spend your time doing because as you get older, your time does become more valuable. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, being selective is is great. You know, having that luxury is is cool. Coming out of music school, it it is... I feel like that is the time to establish yourself, to network, you know, get yourself out there and, you know, kind of find yourself as a musician and what works best for you. I mean, you know, like I said, I I never thought that I would be more of an educator than I am. You know, I was always teaching lessons and I still do. And and I love that. But, you know, I certainly that was that was not in my my scope or my big plans of I'm going to become a band director and, you know, going the whole music ed route. And, you know, and that's another thing. There's, there's sort of a weird stigma and and dichotomy with that of music education, sorry, music education, music performance. It's like, you're going to do both regardless of what your degrees in and what your trainings in, like as a music educator, you should be playing as a music performer. You should be teaching in some capacity, even if it's a couple lessons. I mean, you know that's it's just more work yeah totally yeah totally man and like uh steve bailey he's like the director of the jazz department at berkeley okay and then but he's like a six string you know uh fretless uh jazz bass player and he's like he did bass extremes with victor wooten and like you know and they and they're not like touring because he can't do that but he is taking performances, you know, he'll get do like a fly in or do something and then he'll do these clinics, you know. So it's like there is this element of, of he's still getting creative and writing and releasing music and performing when he can. But then he's also like the head educator at one of the top schools in the world for, wow. for music, you know. So it's important, definitely important to have both of those perspectives, I think. Sure. Now, I want to kind of talk to you about uh, this world that you're living in uh, because you're a you're a percussionist is how you describe yourself or a drummer uh i don't think it really matters i mean you know if if you want to get all technical and i i would say i'm a percussionist just because of the the training that i do have and you know some of the i guess the skill set that i have as well um that i i wouldn't want to limit myself just to drum set even though primarily as far as like working and stuff that i'm doing yeah you know drum set is like you know going out and 
playing a gig on marimba is like it's not going to happen yeah you know, unless yeah that <laughs> might be a couple times a year but you know even even aaron you know he he does a lot of stuff on vibes which is really cool right you know, and, and jazz vibes is a big thing and you know kind of what he does is is a little unique with that which is awesome and i love to see that i guess percussionist is that'll work gotcha <laughs> uh so how did you get involved with it? were you a drummer first or did you start picking up more auxiliary percussion and kind of work your way into drumming what was the process so my dad was a drummer so um you know i've been around it my whole life just always there's always a drum set in the living room or somewhere in the house and you know he didn't play professionally or anything and just kind of played for fun played in school and you know he still plays which is great i love that you know and he'll take some time off he's like oh i really miss it and he gets back into it and you know he goes through his things but uh so you know i, I started out obviously the drum set and you did the whole school band thing and um, just kind of took it from there you know coming out of high school I didn't really know what I wanted to do and even I, I didn't really even see music as like oh I can go to school for this I had no idea you know I didn't have any I guess older siblings or friends that were doing that the next level so I, I kind of just fell into it and then it was a rude awakening going to UNF and doing all the orchestral excerpts and marimba and you know some of the the world percussion and all the mallets and I was like I'm not playing drum set like what am I doing right like, what's going on um but man I I love it and I'm so thankful for for all of that you know being part of being a great musician and a percussionist is you got to be well-rounded you know, sure, you can have your your specialties with certain things. And I feel like for me, I sort of specialize in drum set and, and multi-percussion. Um, that's what I've sort of narrowed it down to. But, you know, with the skill set that I've acquired over the years, you know, I, I can sight read, you know, Glock part at a church service for Easter or, you know, I do a lot of musical theater and that's very heavily reliant on reading and, you know, it's it's very fast paced and changing to, you know, Cortales and reading all the percussion, you know, clef and staff and all of that. So um, that's definitely helped me just get more opportunities you know, and I, w I would never consider myself like any sort of virtuosic or master marimbist or, or mallet player, but, you know, I can do enough to get by. And, you know, the things that I learned through playing those instruments, I was seeing how that translated to drum set and, you know, just developing my ear of being in a band setting and hearing, you know, when, when the guitar player is going to a different chord or we're going to a bridge, like stuff like that. So I love that right there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. I like this because there's a lot of drummers out there that don't have, um, that harmonic and melodic awareness. And you can really tell when you're playing with them uh, versus the ones that do, because they really know how to kind of, how to complement what's happening sure. uh, melodically and otherwise. So I'd like to know kind of, how you're approaching it as a drummer, like being being aware of the harmony and the, and the melody as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it it really just puts you in a position to to listen more intently and really be careful about what's going on. You know, you can't just live in your own little world and you know just kind of bash away on the drum set. So if you're hearing certain buildups and even just hearing, you know. Uh, the, the exchange between solos and um, where the song is going, especially if I'm not familiar with the song, then I'm like hypersensitive to what's going on or having a basic understanding of chord changes and, um, you know, different intervals and stuff like that. It, it just certainly helps 
to, I guess, navigate through the tune or just just being more musically aware, you know? Yeah, because like there's there's things I realized, like another thing that drummers that have an ear, uh, I realize is like, for instance, there's a tune that I've played a lot. It's like a 20 measure phrase, mm-hmm. right? Now a drummer that doesn't, it's not listening on that from that perspective might just only count the 16 and then try and re restart the the phrase. But like, it's not 16 measures, it's 20. So if you, if you're emphasizing here, well, the rest of us are going to be emphasizing after the next four. So you kind of create this kind of disruption and this, this tension that doesn't need to be there. Um, and that's something that I think is really important as well with drummers that are listening on that level because they're, they're like, Oh, okay. I catch, that we're melodically we're not we're not here yet, and so even if they don't know it, they can catch themselves the next time around. You know, sure. I think it's just like like, like a really important aspect. I think it's cool when percussionists coming to to drums, or especially if you start off on drums and just learning the extra stuff, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot more you know valuable. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and you just you have a totally different outlook on you know the the group that you're playing in and with, and you just have a higher level of appreciation for it. You know, if you're just kind of sitting there and, you know, you're actively listening to the guitarist or, you know, the keyboard player take a solo and um, kind of what's going on in the song, like, it's just, it's, you know, you can find those musical moments where it's like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Like, how often are you working on the percussion stuff? Like, uh, as far as, like, gigging, it's like a couple of times a year, you said? Well, you know, with uh, doing like musical theater stuff, um, you know, a lot of those books and shows, yeah, it's built around drum set. But, you know, you're typically going to have some sort of melodic percussion instrument, whether it's timpani. uh, There's always Glock xylophone, which is just the worst yeah. <laughs> I hate xylophone and I own a xylophone I look at it I'm like you stupid piece of shit uh, uh, but you know it's I, I love it it's great yeah it's definitely with musical theater you know that's that's going to be a, a little more of the accessories the mallet instruments and that's you know you, you kind of see where your chops are at like if you're not actively sight reading and and working on that stuff and you get a book with a couple like hard xylo licks and it's like oh shit it's kind of like all right gotta gotta shed gotta hit it but as far as that you know you, you have your your standard church services of like you know bigger things like easter and um where you typically are called for timpani glockenspiel stuff like that so every so often and especially being an educator like if if certain things pop up or um different gigs different opportunities it's it's going to be more on that side as well even if you're like playing along with students or you know some of these like like all district events and uh, again where it's in that world or realm of classical percussion and again i i try to put myself out there and put myself in that position to play the those instruments and, you know, keep myself sort of active and fresh with that of not touching uh, a timpani or, you know, a marimba for an extended period of time. It's like, you know, I went through all those years of training and like, you know, five, six hours every day of just shedding that stuff. So it's like, even if I don't have a performance coming up, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to, to work at a school where I have all of that equipment. Right. And it's like, you know, if, if I'm not teaching a lesson, I'll just go and read, you know, one page etude and be like, all right, you know, got my timpani for the week or whatever. And, you know, it doesn't sound like shit. So here we go. Yeah. I've always thought that it's interesting about, about that, I guess, title of a percussionist, because that 
encompasses so many, like just a variety of all these different instruments that all take a certain, like a different skill set. You know, like I, I've talked to Aaron and it's because like Aaron practices primarily like vibes and drum set, mm -hmm. but he gets called for, for the timpani gigs and like all this other stuff too. Um, so especially like around the holidays and everything. And it's like, how do you just like not touch something for a year and then you're just perfectly capable of coming back to it and y your technique is there, your reading chops are there, your ability to perform at a professional level is there and you're not practicing this instrument. I can't imagine that. Yeah, I mean, that that's tough. And, you know, that's that's why I if I feel as though like I haven't touched one of those instruments in a while through lessons, through just, you know, teaching at school and just being around those instruments and they're just staring at me. They're like, you know, you need to play timpani sounding like ass recently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, it's sort of looming over you of like play, yeah. you know, just do it. But yeah, I, I, I can't imagine going, you know, a, a long, really long extended period of time without touching that and then getting the call for the gig. Um, I mean, generally you're going to have enough time to like, shed for like the week or a couple weeks leading up to that which you know it's like riding the bike it's like what am i doing and it, it kind of comes back you know that's that's one of the great things about school is that it instills that that um form of you know that regimented practice of just get in the practice room and you know play it until you can't get it wrong so a lot of it is muscle memory it's like yeah you're you're gonna not feel great at first but it'll slowly come back, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's weird. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I can't, I mean, I, guitar is hard enough for me to keep up with, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> dude, I gotta fucking practice this every day. And I notice it. If I go like a few days without yeah. practicing, I'm like, fuck my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I wanted to talk about, uh, obviously the social media stuff has been like working out pretty well for you. The content that you post is amazing. Cause I really like your perspective on some of the stuff. It's like, you'd probably better describing that than I am. It's, but it's very entertaining to watch and it sounds really good. Like your performances are, are like killer on the stuff that you're posting. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It's, um, it's been fun. You know, I got into, especially posting on Instagram, you know, while I was at UNF early on in the Instagram days. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I have kept it authentic and genuine that entire time. You know, I don't, I really don't try to get into the trends and, and all of that and, you know, all the, the tips and tricks and hacks. And it's like, you know, it, it's cool to like be aware of that stuff, but same thing with like exercise. It's like, don't overcomplicate it. You know, you're, you're just making more work for yourself. And if something doesn't pan out, you're like, oh, I've invested all this time and it's like, and it didn't work out and I, I lost followers and it's like, you know, it, it's just, it's just weird. So for me, you know, I, I honestly just put up videos and, and create based off of what I'm feeling kind of within that day or the week. You know, I don't, I try not to overthink it. You know, if, if I'm inspired by something that I hear, I just kind of go with that. And honestly, you know, people ask me about my, my setups with those videos and yeah. some of the grooves that I do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be honest, a, a lot of it is I, I try to have a really condensed, simple setup and make the most of that. Um, the other part of it is sometimes I'm lazy as shit and I don't want to set up a bunch of stuff and I don't have time. You know, a lot of, a lot of the videos that you see are 
at like lunchtime or after school or in between classes sometimes. And it's like, all right, I got 15 minutes. Like, let's focus. Let's get this down. You know, I, I have sort of a time limit, which puts me in a position to focus and, you know, create on the spot. So I, I pull from, you know, different areas of, of inspiration. And uh, again, songs that I'm hearing, grooves, uh, if I'm just, if I'm using like a, like a stand-up kick drum and uh, a clap stack and a set of bongos, and it's like, what can we do with this? Right. You know, just trying to be as creative as possible, but playing something to where people can find enjoyment and relate to it on some level. You know, I don't want to play stuff that's way over people's heads and it's like, oh, I'm playing 1116. It's like, you know, that's cool and all, but, um, you know, in some regard, I want to appeal to the masses and people uh, play grooves and beats that, that people find enjoyable, you know, and that's, I really started getting into the hip hop stuff. Uh, and I've, I've always been a fan of hip hop. You know, I grew up with that music and, um, like outcast and, and stuff like that. Like that's, that's the kind of shit that I vibe with. And it's like, you know, that nineties, early two thousands hip hop, R and B rap, like that's, that's my jam, man. Like I love those grooves. So, uh, I definitely pull a lot from that and just kind of roll with it, you know? And, and like we were talking about earlier, when I post it's, it's out of your control. Like it could get, you know, 5,000 views, which is, which is low. I know I'm sorry. <laughs> or, or it could blow up and, and get millions. But you know, when that happens, it's like, it's just, it's out of my control. I can't do anything about it. And it's just, it's the, the reach on some of those social media platforms is nuts. Yeah, man. I think, you know, there is certainly an element that's out of your control, but, I, but it's also something that like, like, uh, obviously someone's collaborated with you on this front is Isaac Corbett, on the TikTok stuff, you guys had a couple videos that just went like super viral. Oh yeah. Um, and what you two have in common is that you're taking this unique approach to an otherwise, you know, traditional and maybe perceivingly limited uh, world, right? Like percussion, people think about like theater and classical music and that's really it. And Isaac with the harmonica, people think about just the blues and really, I mean, that's it. But what you guys have done is you've brought it to the modern landscape, whether it be through hip hop or using it in the context of modern pop stuff. Sure. And and also with you, with like the settings that you're in, like the last one that I saw was you at, at the at the UNF theater, maybe. So um, that's the uh, that's actually our performing. Um uh, performing arts space and auditorium at the school at Episcopal. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, awesome. And that's like, and that's cool that you have access to that kind of stuff because that also adds to the experience of the viewer. Sure. So I think, yes, there's a lot, like, you can post it and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But the fact that you do have this kind of unique twist on an otherwise traditional instrument instruments, and then using these unique settings as well, um, I think it captivates people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting that you brought up with, you know, classical percussion and having a, a twist on it. And so sort of what I'm doing in, in most of my videos, if it's not drum set, it's just, it's considered multi-percussion. You know, you're taking multiple percussion instruments typically standing up for whatever reason. Uh, and that kind of started in like the, the 60s and 70s. And that that was really when like percussion ensemble kind of took off. Um, and, you know, it, that's, it led to where it is now. 
But with that, you know, even with multi-percussion stuff, like some of the solos and repertoire that I've heard and that I've played early on and at UNF, I was like, God, like this, there's no, where's the groove, man? Like, this just sucks. It just sounds like I'm playing all this weird abstract stuff. And it's like, if I don't like it, why, why is somebody that d has no, uh, you know, concept or doesn't know anything about percussion? Like, what the hell was that? Like, right. I don't get it. Um, so, but you know, I, I certainly don't want to discredit that stuff either because there, it sometimes takes, takes a higher level of thinking and understanding and level of appreciation for that stuff, which is cool. You know, there's, there is an art to it, but. You know, uh, I, I would never post that stuff on social media. Like the stuff that I post on there, there's an intent behind that to where people, again, can relate to that or they can remix it and play over it or it reminds them of a groove or a song and, and stuff like that. So, you know, with multi-percussion, I, I kind of fell into that at UNF. I was like, again, doing all the orchestral stuff. And I'm like, man, like this is cool, but I'm missing something. I'm not playing drum set like... I, I, th there's gotta be something else. So I played my first multi-percussion solo and there was a lot of stuff, you know, it was a bunch of like gongs and, and cymbals and, you know, a bunch of toms and bongos. And I was like, you know, this is dope. Like this is it's basically like a stand up drum set. You know, you'd be like Nate Worth from Snarky Puppy. Like he's got a big elaborate setup and I kind of fell in love with it there. That was my first year. I was like, all right, you know, I, I can vibe with this. And then I played some like weird stuff and I was like, all right, let's go back to the groovy stuff. So I kind of took like the, all those elements of it and just kind of made it my own in a way. But I, I don't feel as though I'm reinventing the wheel by any means. Like it's all been done, you know? And people are like, oh, what are you playing on? It's a 22 inch kick drum with legs to get it vertical. And you get a totally different approach and sound by playing it with sticks or mallets and not, you know, when we think kick drum, it's always got the pedal with it, right? But, you know, when you flip it up vertically, it's like you got a whole new vibe going on, so. Yeah, well, creative thinking like that, I think, is what people, like, are drawn to, you know? Yeah. And I think it's cool. Part of what's um, interesting about social media now with artists putting out stuff at such a high volume is that it forces other artists to get creative with how they're going to get attention, you know, sure. because I th I feel like social media can, can act in different ways. Um, if you're trying to get the attention on social media and you want, like you want your presence or you want your, your pursuit to be like, like an online presence, finding out what your voice is and how to effectively and authentically communicate that mm -hmm. is to me what's important. And then if that's going to be your world, you have to kind of find the angle that no one else has really found yet. So I think that it's cool what you've done, even though you say you're not reinventing the wheel, just in the sense where like you are putting it out in a way that's that's um, palatable for most people, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of reinventing in some capacity, at least putting it on a marketplace, so to speak, you know, sure. and, uh, that's what people have to be drawn to. It's the same thing with Isaac too, you know, and like yeah. taking this music and this instrument that's like got this, this, this preconceived notion and putting it into hip hop and, and, and collaborating with you. And like, that's such a cool thing that I thought happened was like you guys taking these vastly different worlds yeah. and then kind of using this style of music to kind of collaborate on it. And the fact that you guys are both from here makes it even cooler, you know? I, I didn't know Isaac 
prior to that and we haven't actually met in person we've always talked and stuff and that's hilarious um but you know i i posted one of those videos and and he jumped on it and i was like damn like this guy rips on harmonica and he is fast as hell yeah like he's got some serious chops especially for people that know nothing about harmonica like they had a whole different outlook and level of appreciation for that which is really cool you know especially and same thing for multi-percussion it's like yo this guy's standing up playing all this crazy shit and it's like yeah it's been done before but people aren't really doing it you know um so th that's kind of why i i you know kept with that and that's that's kind of my thing it's i love it i'm not doing it because no one else is doing it i'm, I'm doing it because i genuinely love it exactly. it's fun but you know i i like you said i kind of found that angle of like you know a lot of drummers will like post covers you know that the the cover days are like oh i'm playing along with this and it's like that's cool and all but it's like it was so saturated everyone was doing it it's like all right you know how how can we make this fresh so just kind of i guess being aware especially on social media of what people are posting and and uh i don't want to say the trends i fucking hate that word um uh, really of just what people are doing and what they're not doing and just being aware of, of, of how it's evolving and, you know, how you can sort of tap into those areas, whether people, you know, finding things that people are doing really well and then finding those pockets of where something is missing, you know? Um, and it wasn't necessarily, I, I was like, oh, nobody's doing multi-percussion. I just kind of did it. And I was like, all right, you know, People like this. They, it's aesthetically pleasing. It's like, ooh, I hear all these cool sounds, and it's like they they have no concept of really what's going on. But it's like, all right, I can vibe with that. Like, sounds cool. You got these little, you know, I'm using like little galvanized metal pipes and stuff, and it's like, yeah, you just kind of roll with it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love that. I mean, stumbling into yeah. those things, I think, is like the best way to kind of make it happen. Like authenticity sells, you know? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I don't like to put it that way because it kind of removes the authenticity part, I think. But like, that's really what it is. Like when, when you're just doing something because you genuinely love it and it just so happens that it's a new take on something, mm -hmm. that's like, that's like the, the recipe to success, I think. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah man, congratulations on all that stuff. It's su Thanks, super man. dope. You're not really doing TikTok, you said. No, um, I, I don't even really go on it that much. I, I started doing it because I lost access to my original Instagram account. I was like, all right, let's, let's try out TikTok. And even at that point, I felt like I was kind of late to the game. Um, but, you know, with, with the first couple videos that I posted, uh, they just took off. You know, people were duetting them, like people, people were really digging it. Um, and that's how I, you know, connected with Isaac. Uh, he's just, and that, that was really cool. So for me, that was, that was more of a reason to stay on and stay connected with him. And it's like, gosh, there's, there's so much talent out there, but you know, with TikTok, it's such a large platform. It's like, you know, what would be or what would equate to 5 million views on TikTok would be very different on Instagram. Yeah, totally. You know, it's like the, the number of users is just like astronomical on um, TikTok. So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get weirder comments. There's a lot of hate on there, but, you know, there's a lot more people checking it out. And 
Um, I, I loved how easy the whole collaboration thing was, which that has changed with Instagram with, you know, the remix and duets and all that stuff. But yeah, I, j I just kind of stopped on TikTok. Honestly, I, I felt like it was, it's a little too gimmicky for music in a way. If I was doing like more of a comedy music thing, which people do very well. And it's like, I sort of know my lane of like, all right, well, I'm not doing that cause I'm not a music funny guy. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I could, you know, just why not throw stuff up there and, and see what happens. But, um, you know, the last couple months of some of the videos that have gone viral on Instagram, people are like, oh yeah, man, I saw you on TikTok. I was like, what are you talking about? Like I haven't posted on TikTok in six months. Yeah. It's like somebody was just like, took my video and you know, they, they credited me and tagged me and whatever, but they were posting it. And that like that shit went viral. I was like, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's why the, doing the work for me. So that's, that's where I saw most of you was on, on TikTok. Really? Yeah. Because it's a weird platform where it it's like, I don't really know how it works, but it seems to be much easier to get discovered on. I feel like because it is more user generated content mm -hmm. rather than like content creators trying to reach an audience. It's like everyone is on TikTok trying to create content. So it's like, I don't know. It, I think it's more geared towards getting discovered, whereas Instagram is too, but it seems like it's a lot harder on Instagram. I don't know. Well, and you know, for me, like the, the companies that I, that I work with and endorse, like most of that stuff is on Instagram. Right. Like a, a lot of those companies are on TikTok, obviously, and they kind of do their thing. But even with that, they make kind of like silly videos or like a ASMR, you know, it's like, it, it's just a different it's just a much different platform, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a video and a video, but like if you really look at the two, Instagram and TikTok are pretty different. You know? Yeah. From the way I, I look at it is like, because I, I watch TikTok a lot. I think it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's more about the entertainment. Sure. You know, and so, and because it is user generated content, people are getting, it's very easy to like to edit and, and come up with cool, clever little things. Mm -hmm. And that's very interactive. People can, can, you know, duet stuff or they can, you know, they can stitch stuff. And it's like a, it's a whole thing that makes it very interactive. Whereas like Instagram was interactive until TikTok came around and it's like, well, this is what interaction actually is where we can actually take the post and do stuff with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Now they're trying to kind of adopt some similar stuff. But it's like Instagram is more, I think, to – I feel like like businesses that are trying to market to people do much better on Instagram. So it's like if you're – like you as a business, as an entity, are marketing your skills and your creativity, and it's getting discovered by consumers. But like on TikTok, I feel like it's getting discovered by other content creators, and then you can collaborate. And it's, sure. So it's just a different – thing altogether, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it, I think it is important to have both. I mean, I always, if I'm posting on Instagram, if it's like a video, I'm just going to post it on TikTok just to have it there right. in case anybody, you know, sees it or yeah. doesn't use Instagram for some reason, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Crazy to me that like, you're not really on TikTok and that's how <laughs> I saw most of your videos. And I'm only now over the last like few weeks seeing your stuff pop up on Instagram. Okay. It's so crazy. Yeah. This is kind of a new thing that, that Chris wanted to start doing. I think it's a good idea, but like, what are you listening to these days m musically? Oh boy. Um, hmm. What's keeping you inspired and getting you excited? Oh boy, put me on the spot. Honest, <laughs> honestly, man, like 
you know, I, I, I try to check out new stuff every so often, but sometimes it's like, you know, you, you revisit the classics and you revisit things that, that you love and you hear different things. That's always really exciting for me. Um, I'm a big Rage Against the Machine fan. Love Rage. Hell yeah. Um, and just, you know, even finding some songs that I haven't heard in a long time or, you know, our deep cuts on the, on the album. It's like, yeah. Um, so Rage, Audio Slave, just, you know, basically the same but different um i yeah, love audio slave when kendrick dropped his newer album uh mr Mor- morale and the big steppers like i listened to that just incessantly it's a great record yeah um you know i listened to damn a lot from kendrick yep. uh big kendrick fan obviously the guy is just next level he's just he is a, a musical poet and just creative as hell man yeah i mean i love the production on those records more than anything else i think it took me took me a while to hop on the kendrick train just because i think people from my perspective were putting him on a pedestal and i'm like well you know when there's rappers like most deaf and talib kweli out there it's hard to say that somebody's the best when nobody it's like when those guys are, are, are to me like m- the most masterful lyr- lyricist on the planet but then you listen but I, I really gave kendrick a chance and i was okay well the lyrics are really good but then it's also the production and like the creativity like just the thought process of how like it, it's really a full album experience sure. w- which a lot of people have kind of given up on it's like yeah putting out singles and just like racing for content, you know, um, whereas Kendrick kind of went the other way with it. And it was like, no, we're going to, we're going to make listening to an album a full experience again. And that's what he's done, which I really appreciate. So he's kind of got the full scope. I feel like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So going back, listening to the, uh, to the classics and like re and like picking up on, on stuff. I actually started doing that recently too, with um, this is a guilty pleasure of mine, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it anyways because I fucking like it. I grew up with it. Uh, Matchbox Twenty, it's a great band. And dude. they were just in Jacks, right? They were, yeah. Okay. Did not go, um, <laughs> but uh, really missed out on that one. <laughs> but here's, but it's interesting going and listening to those records from a from just a purely like musical standpoint where you're like catching little things and especially if you've done work in the studio you're like okay i'm hearing this this technique or that technique i'm hearing the placement of this part and that part and like why it's here you know sure and then you're like damn this was actually really like well put together and a really you know some of the early just great great records you know like really well thought out i think yeah yeah and realizing that everything kind of has its place uh, like there's nothing that's just like, why is that there type thing? You know? Right. Right. Um, what about you, Chris? What are you listening to? I've been, um, really diving on this band from South Florida, uh, electric gif. Oh yeah. I'm going like deep down the rabbit hole. Cause I've known about them for years and have been like aware of them as like kind of peers on the scene, uh, so to speak. And like knew a couple tunes, but, um, there's a band I'm playing with time wise. That's, you know, kind of in that vein of like instrumental, chops but also like really playing with like textures and space and like have been using these guys as like a roadmap because i think they're just doing it incredibly well and have you know been finding live videos studio stuff they cut all of it and just been really going down the rabbit hole it's really good stuff isn't it interesting now like we we were kind of talking about this the other day where like the, the there's like a shift in 
where the virtuosity in music lies now. Mm-hmm. And whereas, you know, 10 years ago, it was like, who can, who has like the, the like the new technical approach to this thing? Like listen to bands like Animals as Leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Tobin uh, Abbasi, I think is how you say his name. Tobin. Yeah. Like just the, the, just the masterful, like, technician that he is on the guitar but then we've gotten to a point now um where where we're like almost it's like everything's been done so so we're so the virtuosos are now like kind of changing the game and it's like well now we're not gonna be so flashy let's figure out how to really like let's master discipline sure and that's where the virtuosity now lies like when i I was in la a few weeks ago and i saw at a, just a jam night, Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles were like hosting the jam. Yeah. And it was the first set was just was them just doing straight improv for an hour. And I maybe saw three solos that whole time. The rest of it was just taking a concept and building on the concept. And that might have been the whole song without any solos. Yeah. And I was like, every person on that stage right now can play whatever they want as fast or as slow and not miss a beat but they're just taking an idea and really building on this concept and i love that kind of restraint i think like there's just something in that discipline that really shines yeah and hearing the thing with electric keef and like guys that are kind of in this in this jazz fusion kind of world that are really just thinking about like the the vibe and experimenting with sounds more than than you know the virtuosity of their playing sure yeah i mean i um and i know you just had him on the show but i uh i went and saw osnoy when he played at 1904 it oh, was hell yeah. him uh, dennis chambers and jimmy Halslip. yep um easily one of the best guitarists i've ever heard in person like that guy just his language on guitar i'm like god this guy is just nuts. Like, I just, I don't know. It, like some of the licks that he presented and played, I'm just uh, so clean, but you know, he's not like shredding doing this crazy fast stuff, but it was, you know, it was so meaningful. And he played with, you know, such a, a level of intent. It was like, wow. Like it's just, it was inspiring. Like, yeah, you know, I was, I was telling Chris, I was like, you know, I was more focused on Oz and, and I've seen Dennis Chambers, but it, Dennis Chambers is a drumming legend. Yeah. Of I mean, he's, he's one of the greats. And I just, even my dad, you know, he was like, that guitar player is unreal. He goes, it's just, you know, he, he definitely sort of captured at least my attention, but I feel like most people in the room was just like, this guy, yeah, he's he's one of those next level players. But, you know, to your point, I, I don't think he was doing anything that was just like, you know, that's never been done before. It was just so tasteful in the way that he presented it. It was, yeah, it's just, it's really cool. Yeah, man. We actually had a, a, we actually talked with him a lot about, about, um, his kind of process when he's writing and like how he chooses the people he's playing with for like what project and the artistry and what he does versus just the musicianship and what he does. And that really shines in his playing and people like, they're similar that have like these very distinct voices. Like Derek Trucks is another person who's like obviously an amazing musician, but I mean, he's an artist. Like right. he's got a voice on his instrument that's undeniable um, and very distinguishable from other players, and especially on the slide. 
you know, thinking about things in the way where it's like, how can I really put my, my stamp on this? Like not so much play as many notes as possible, but let's just figure out like, what am I actually trying to say here and how can I make it my, my words, right, right. you know, Osnoy does an amazing job with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was almost my answer of like what I've been listening to is because after he came on, he was talking about this new like kind of pop jam band record he'd put out uh, with Ozone Squeeze. And I listened to that top to bottom multiple times just because wow. like a player that good that is just playing a role like and he's playing the role so well. Like it's it's just like a textbook to kind of go and listen and go like, all right, cool. He showed his chops for one second here. Like he put in a cool yeah. harmonic voicing. And that was the only that was like the highlight of the tune was this two second turnaround, wow. and the and the tunes are just really good pop jam tunes like they're they're great songs. So that was a close second, but I was like, we just had him on. He just promoted the album. It's, yeah, can't, <laughs> can't give him too much, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's, it's kind of hard not to. He's just sure. he's a beast. He's you know? a beast, and also just a very cool guy. It was cool to talk to him. Yeah. Um, that, that that record was great though. I went down, I, yeah. I listened to it as well after we had him on. I kind of started going down an Osnoy rabbit hole. And then, like, started going to my gigs trying to play like him. I'm like, <laughs> that, dude, just stop it. You're not going to do it. That would hurt a little bit, huh? <laughs> Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Just give up. He's like, hey, man, saw your video. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a really poorly executed version of me. <laughs> yeah. Your bandmates are all sitting over there going like, hey, man, when are you going to get back to playing the gig? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what Oz talked about the whole podcast? Yeah, literally. Like, like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all this shit that we, like, that we just, even in general, we just talk about on the podcast. And just after having people like that on, sometimes I just abandon all of my shit. <laughs> I'm just let's just be a little self-indulgent for a minute here. Sure. It's one night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know. Also, like bar gigs are a good place to try things out. I feel like yeah. most of the time people aren't really paying attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, why not just there's like no, work no some pressure, shit out? There's yeah. no stakes, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, if we're selling out, you know, if we're selling tickets to an intimate show at Blue Jay or something, then that's one thing. But like, we're playing at Monkey's Uncle <laughs> yeah. on a Friday night. Let's right. fucking let some shit fly. Yeah. Right. See what happens. <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right. Well, Greg, uh, we have one more segment that we do on this show. It's called Unpopular Opinions. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but uh, if Chris told you or filled you in at all, Chris? <laughs> it's all hazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we go, we do Unpopular Opinions. We each go around, just say something. It doesn't have to be about anything you don't want. We try and keep politics and religion out of it. Okay. So, um, and then, but however, if you want to take it there, we can. Um, and then it can be about literally whatever you want. Chris will go first. Great. Um, all right. This is a uh, long winded a little bit, but it's, it's something I firmly believe. If someone calls you and you like try to get to your phone and it, you just miss it. Like m- within a minute or two, you call them back immediately. They don't answer. That phone call was meant to be a text message. <laughs> Like, it was not important enough for you to just go, you know what? They might call me right back. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Even two minutes. Nope. It's the biggest pet peeve in the world. Someone calls me. Oh, shit. Hold on. I got it. I got it. I'm calling right back. I just missed it. Voicemail. Well, fuck this. (laughs) Just text me. Text me. If it's important enough to respond to the text, I'll call you. But, like, phone tag, we're adults here. Come on. Let's not do this anymore. It's my unpopular opinion. I'm standing by it. I could see that. 
I mean, it wouldn't really bother. It doesn't really bother me that much. I'm just like, I guess maybe they hopped on another call or something. But they're that busy. They're taking that many phone calls. Maybe I don't know what they got going on in their lives. Well, but uh, yeah, I feel you. I can see that. Sometimes you ever feel like it's like it's a power play. It's like, no, you're going to, I'm not answering your call. You're going to answer my call. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, my life's just enough of a mess. I can't get to a phone quick enough. You know? yeah, that's, that's all, that's yeah. all it is. <laughs> well, and I mean, when's the last time you left a voicemail? If, if it's oh. an important call, and but realistically... It's like, hey, call me back. It's like, yeah, no shit, you missed my call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I haven't left a voicemail in years. And then people like the the older folks try and leave voices. Check your voicemail. I tried calling you. I'm like, dude, <laughs> what is this? 1997. Let's fucking move on. Most of my musician people that I gig with either don't have a voicemail that's set up, or their voicemail was recorded in middle school. I'm looking at you, KP. Uh, if you guys, if you guys want, I'll do this on the pod. I'll put KP's number up here. Go ahead and give him a call and just check out that voicemail real quick. Yeah. It is adorable. It is oh, awesome. His voice hasn't broken yet. Uh, he's maybe twelve. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. It's it's so cool to call your homie and have a little girl answer the phone on voicemail. It's wow. awesome. <laughs> Taking shots over here. Poor guy's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> KP, hop in the comments. Let us know what you think. <laughs> Um, uh, do you, do you guys ever do that thing? Uh, how, how old are you, Greg? 31. 31. Okay. So maybe you might remember this where like people would like record, uh, like have a song playing in the background when they were doing their voicemail thing. And then you'd like, do like leave a message for so-and-so whatever. And it's like just because you want people to know what you were listening to at the time. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do that? Uh, I probably did. Uh, it was probably stupid as hell. But I, I actually, there are like videos on Instagram and TikTok of people doing that too. It's yeah. like they're up, up by the TV. They're listening <laughs> to like, you know, Juvenile or, or uh, like Petey Pablo or something. It's like a banger. It's like, you know, they like turn the volume down. It's like, hey, all right, call me back. I'm busy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay. It's like, what are, you, what are you at the concert? It's like, no. Yeah, that is, that is, uh, I did see one of those on TikTok recently, which is why I uh, brought that up because it just reminded me of like doing that as a kid. <laughs> all right, you got any unpopular opinions? <sighs> yeah, I, I get into these debates with my students and it gets really heated and I love it. Um, <laughs> So what one we talked about recently, so we're talking about like a hamburger or a hot dog. Okay. Does a good bun or a, I'll put it this way. Does a bad bun ruin a great hamburger or a great hot dog? Like if you have Ooh. like a shitty, like Publix brand, not hating on Publix, but their buns are ass Publix brand bun. That's like not soft. It's not a potato roll. Are you going to be able to overlook that and be like, you know what, eh, the bun was bad, but it was a good hot dog. Or if you have a great bun, it doesn't matter the grade of the, you know, whatever's on the burger. It's like, the, is the bun make or break? Okay. This is a great question, actually. <laughs> um, so the bun isn't, in my opinion, the bun is not make or break. However, a a, like really good bread can absolutely offset really shitty meat. Totally. You know, that's okay. my perspective on it. What, what, what do you say? So, okay. Well, if you have like, you know, 
high high grade beef, whatever, and you have a really bad bun, are you are you gonna be able to really overlook that bun, or is it just gonna ruin the whole experience? You'd be like, man, like this burger would have been great if the bun wasn't so terrible. Yeah. You know, I do think that the bun matters more because, like, you know, like if I get a, 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 it will ruin a great piece of meat, whereas like a bland piece of meat and a good bun is still a good burger or a dog. A Wagyu burger on a three day old crumbling, <laughs> I can't even eat it. It's, yeah, it's, it's the experience is over. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if, if the, if the standard for a bad bun is that, and I agree, but you said just Publix brand bun. It's the same thing. It's not because it here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can eat, if it's a good, like, if it's like good beef, like a burger that's like cooked just right, cheese is perfectly melted, all the right ingredients, the right toppings, and you put a Publix bun on it, I'm going to enjoy the shit out of it. doesn't bother me at all. Now, if it is stale, bun has been sitting out for three days or something, <laughs> then that's a real problem. Probably not very good idea to eat it in general, right? Sure, sure. Um, but again, if the beef is like okay, it could be chicken, whatever, the bread being like freshly baked, like perf- like everything is perfect, then that is going to be a good sandwich. Mm-hmm. Like it's It's hard to compete with like perfectly made bread, I will say. And a side tangent off that, pretzel buns are the best buns out there. If Potato, done correctly. Potato buns are phenomenal. That used to be my go-to. Pretzel <laughs> buns have taken over. All and right, a pretzel right. bun on a burger, best burger. Cuban bread, the best, okay, hands down. That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Cuban. I can say it. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting. <laughs> um, to me, that... Uh, I think that like or like fr- like good French bread or like good Italian bread. I, I like the kind of baguette version of things. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, or like a good uh, uh, what's the uh, I can't remember what it's called right now. It's like the square style sourdough, <laughs> ciabatta, square, Ch- oh, that ciabatta, square. yeah. Sourdough, dude. <laughs> Geography's hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. What is your favorite kind of bread, Greg? Uh, I'm a potato roll kind of guy. Okay. Like potato bread is, and you know, put some butter on a stovetop, like just it's got a little sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yep. I'm into that too. Shit. Yeah. I like it too. That was not an unpopular opinion, but a good question. And I like it. Okay. Uh, so, but so what is your opinion on it? Yeah. If I bite into something that the first thing that's going to go through my head is like either this bun is great and the sandwich is great or this bun sucks. I just want to throw the whole thing away. Okay, mm. you guys let us know what you think, because I think that's a fucking fantastic <laughs> question. I love that. <laughs> okay. My unpopular opinion this week is that people who communicate with emojis can go to hell. <laughs> Are we talking like the He's targeting m- me? The main. <laughs> oh, do you, well, do you communicate with emojis? Well, comments on Instagram. If I get you know hundred comments, I'll do a couple emojis. Thanks, man. Emoji, emoji. Too. Oh, all you okay. respond with is fire, fire, hands praised. <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. haven't you haven't <laughs> said a word on Instagram <laughs> since 2014, dude. <laughs> I 
Well, uh, okay. <laughs> Don't even. But try. that's not. But Just commenting take it. on a yes, but co- <laughs> there's a difference between commenting on a post versus like a dialogue through text or something. You know what I mean? The Da Vinci Code or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how, what are, are we talking like little things that can accent in? Or are we talking like the main message is conveyed through like. Like if they're trying to talk about like a store robbery and they're like, I'm at the, and then they put a gas pump emoji <laughs> and there's a mask bandit with gun. Like, no, and it's, money. Not even, it's not even that complicated. If, if, if the discussion is over, just send like, okay, cool. Or all right. Yeah. Or okay. Don't send me K or a thumbs up emoji. That's so dismissive. Well, K I feel is not like. an emoji. <laughs> I know, but K is equally as annoying. We say K. <laughs> K, you just put the okay. What, what are you fucking? I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not deserving of that time for the O. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, punctuating with uh, a, a text with a couple like laughy smiley faces if it's really funny. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. But like, I just don't like if we're in the middle of like a like a like a real conversation. And it's ending or whatever. Like I mean, like just, just like to me, like a thumbs up or something. It's just, it's, it's dismissive. It's like we're, like you know what I mean. I'm not really gonna get super mad about it if people do it. I'm just, I was like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> are we done or like, did you, did you get what I said? Yeah. Or are we like on the same page? Or are you just kind of like, all right, I'm done with this <laughs> type thing. You know what I mean? Well, do you ever respond if somebody gives you a thumbs up? Do you give them a thumbs up back? No. <laughs> 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 I just <laughs> try it. See, no, give them I have, I've done it passive. Like, just keep going. I've done it passive aggressively before. I have actually have done that. Or someone <laughs> says, no, send back two. <laughs> give them double thumbs up. Give, or maybe like a finger guns emoji. <laughs> 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 <I> mean, <laughs> my my go to is the shaka. I've moved over to no more oh thumbs up. God. I'm a chill guy, and I want you to know that through text. So message. annoying. <laughs> like, yeah, all right, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, fuck you. Yeah, just tell me. Like, okay, are we done here? Like, I don't know. Can you come in and work today? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's like this is giving me nothing. <laughs> what about an emoji in an email? Oh my god! Wow, that would drive you nuts. I would. I like. To, you could be fucking like Taylor Swift, and I'm just like not working with you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Done. Done. So this goes back to earlier. So if someone sends you up, like, hey, I've got a gig later. It's that's o- no, no, that's okay. Just don't communicate with only emojis. Well, that's what I was getting. I, at. I don't mind if you like throw pepper them in through your dialogue. It's fine. But like, if I'm like, hey man, can you be here at this time? Thumbs up. <laughs> but yeah, I got you. Yeah, okay. Whatever. It's just just a, a confirmation of sorts. A thumbs up. I'm just like. That's just, it's to me. It's, just, it's so dismissive. <laughs> Too cryptic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I got you. So I got if you. I need you to sub for my church gig, and if I just send you. A, a church emoji music question 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 you're not going to take it <laughs> i certainly won't know exactly what you're talking well, about it's open-ended <laughs> just like the it, religion put some dollar itself. signs in there too yeah dollar signs yeah <laughs> give money to the church <laughs> maybe this is the uh, the inner boomer coming out in me <laughs> i do use emojis though to comment on instagram or like whatever i'll use emojis to comment um, that's not real communication to me. That's now, just like a, an acknowledgement of something. That's the social media rap. I, screw Spotify raps. I want to see how many times Anton used the fire emoji on Instagram this oh, year. Literally, I mean, countless times. That's I all mean. I ever do. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> like fire. It's also, to, admittedly, a little dismissive because then it takes all the thought out of the engagement. Sure. I'm just like, this, this is cool. Rather than saying, 
oh, this is dope, man. I'm just like, fire. What? I'm not even worth the, is this dope? No. You're not worth the O then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Right. Glad we got to the bottom of that. (laughs) Um, Greg, thank you so much for being here today, man. This is a blast. Um, Congratulations to everything. And um, good luck with everything you got going on, man. As always, we'll be keeping up with you. Yeah. Thanks, man. And hopefully we can play together sometime. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Peace.